Hi there, this is Yaro, and you're listening to the Daydream Wolves podcast. I'm super happy you're here. I'm super happy we made it through the eclipse season and into September, which is my favorite season of the year. And I have a really beautiful episode for you today. So I interviewed Desiree, um, who is just incredible and grounded and magical and really honest and really curious and I yeah I've, I've known her for a while and this summer I in the beginning of summer I posted some thoughts about cultural appropriation and she emailed me and said hey I would love to start a conversation and that's what we did we met a couple of times over a few months on zoom and we just chat where we we're at and listened to each other and I learned a ton I was incredible incredibly grateful for the time that she poured into that and yeah <laughs> so that was wonderful and then when I asked her if it was okay to maybe record one of those in conversations she said yes um so that's what we did and um to give you a quick preview we talked about magic as a way to self-soothe this is uh, really beautiful we talked about coming out later in life um, about cultural appropriation and spiritual communities um, about working with ancestral traditions about chaos magic and we talked about shedding the idea that our worth as a person is defined by how desirable we are to man and i think we kind of both agreed that magic played a really big part in that liberation so we're incredibly grateful i hope you like the conversation if you have questions if you want more resources let us know we would love to have some feedback and yeah check desiree's work out it's really beautiful and um she's a wonderful person to follow on instagram as well a few announcement on uh announcements on from my end before i start going into the conversation i I'm so grateful you're here. I already said that. Um, but yeah, thank you. I'm I'm really happy. I was just, you know, like September is such an abundant time. Um, the sun is so soft. There's so much to harvest. And so I've just been thinking a lot about gratitude and just I've been thinking about you mainly and all the ways in which you're supporting me in my work. And, and that just feels really beautiful and magical to me. So thank you. Um, I am <clears throat> getting back into web design work, which is really exciting. I love helping people build an online platform and think about ways in which they can do things like online marketing and tech stuff differently. And I've had some really beautiful projects booked already, but I'm open to more towards the end of the year in the next couple of months. And I have a back to school offer. So my prices start at $1,395, which you can pay in two to four installments. And for any booking for September, October, I'm offering two extra consultations with me in which we can talk about social media strategies that don't feel icky. We can talk about how and what part of your story you want to tell, what you really want to offer, what kind of pricing could feel good to you, how you can make your work sustainable in the long term. I think that's a really important thing for so many of us and I have a lot of feelings about this and I love holding space for people to explore that. If you don't need a website, but you just want to chat about those things, um, consultations are available um, on a sliding scale starting at $50. So that's that too. And that's my web design side of things. And then there's also, as you know, the magic and Daydream Rose and this beautiful project that you um, are a part of. And 
I'm still growing my Patreon to kind of really make sure that I have enough resources to create more free stuff such as this podcast and the free webinars that I'm offering. And since January this year, I've been um, creating monthly ritual kits for all Patreons every month. And that's been really beautiful. I loved your feedback and I loved making them. And it's been really nice to connect that way. And then we had the free webinars to kind of come together each month and talk about things and go a little bit deeper. But I've had a yearning to create like a more solid container and to offer something that's a little bit richer. And that is possible because I have more Patreons now. Um, so I really care about making this work accessible and that that's, that's how it, this can work for me. So um, the other thing I realized this year is that embodiment and reclamation are really the two lenses through which I want to explore magic and ritual and the tarot because it feels important and really potent and really just just meant to be for me right now to do this and I know I know this is something that's come up for many of us I know it can mean very many different things embodiment for us but I want to explore how we can bring these things back into our body and really listen to our intuition in this way um, and to find healing and yeah perspective and reclamation through these things so um starting in october i'm going to offer a year-long program called the magic of embodiment and in addition in addition to everything that's already in the um monthly ritual kits which is herbal recipes tarot spreads playlists and audio from me ritual suggestions there's also going to be audio recorded um movement practices and journaling workshops so I'm going to record kind of these little movement practices and then guide you through some journaling questions and it really can work like a workshop so there's going to be pauses on the audio recording so that you can do this at home in a way that works for you and you can explore your relationships with plants and the tarot and ritual anything that you care about in more depth that way and, and feel that support from my community at the same time and then instead of the shorter monthly webinars we'll have longer ones every other month and they'll be tied to the theme of each month throughout the year so the overarching theme is really the magic of embodiment, looking at magic and ritual through the lens of embodiment and reclaiming our bodies and inhabiting them and making them a safer space. And then each month is going to be a sub-theme for that. And we'll do a lot of tarot together, but you don't have to be a tarot geek at all. We'll explore a lot together. I will share some of my own understandings of the cards and audio recordings. And then there's time to ask questions in the workshops, which is really exciting. <coughs> sorry Ooh. so the magic of embodiment is going to be available for all patrons um the suggested donation is 11 dollars because it's a very rich program there's going to be live content and all kinds of treats but honestly it's okay <clears throat> to pledge whatever you can afford i'm not going to ever ask any questions about that and pledges start at three dollars so um, if you can afford to donate more of that, of course, that's beautiful and I welcome that. But if not, then you're 100% welcome here as well. Um, yeah, I'm also going to give away a tarot reading each month. And if you want to pledge a little bit more, you can also receive monthly individual readings if you like. 
Cool, let me know if you have any questions about that. Um, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for sharing this. If you know anyone who could be interested and benefit from this, that would be really meaning a lot to me. So I will let you listen to the episode to, for today now. Thank you so much. Bye. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Daydream Wars podcast. I'm really excited for my guest today. It's been a long time in the making. We had many beautiful conversations already, and I'm just excited to introduce you to her. Her name is Desiree, and I've met her in a group um, that I've been a part in of uh, for quite some time. And as I was posting about some thoughts around cultural appropriation, she emailed me and said, hey, I would really love to have a conversation about this. So that's what we did this summer. Um, we've met a couple of times on Zoom. And then we said, actually, we would really like to record something to share that with other people as well. Um, I really love her work. I love her nature and her spirit. She's just lovely and very grounded and honest and kind and also fierce at the same time. So yeah, that is my little fangle introduction. <laughs> I'm gonna hand it over to her now so that she can introduce herself and tell us where you are in the world right now. Hi, Yara, thank you so much for having me. I am a huge fan. The <laughs> um, deep appreciation for the way that you show up in the world and how gifted you are at articulating um, some of the more difficult things, or you make it easy to talk about the challenging things. Thank you. So I appreciate that. Um, I, I am in a place called Modesto, California, and that's um, in the Central Valley of California, so right in the middle, and it's very hot. We're in our summer. Mm -hmm. um, it's a desert, but heavily irrigated, so there's a lot of agriculture, so that's a, we're, a, we're rooted in people working the land here mm -hmm. and it's pretty dry and dusty and the entire state of California has been on fire mm -hmm. for what feels like months. So there's been a lot of smokiness and heaviness to the air quality. And so uh, I found myself staying in a lot more this summer, but typically summers would be spending more time by the river. We have a number of rivers here and, um, always in the water mm -hmm. swimming or mm -hmm. that's sort of what's happening where uh, that is what nature is like around me mm -hmm. presently yeah that sounds great thank you um i would love to know a little bit more about how magic found you and what your current favorite practices are and they don't have to be like lifelong commitments just i would love to hear a little bit about you know how do you get into things and what are you most excited about right now so I think that my journey with magic started, you know, when I was a little girl, I just didn't have the words around it. So mm -hmm. there's always been an element of the metaphysical, whimsical, uh, spiritual seeker mm -hmm. in me as far back as I can remember. And, and as you asked me that question immediately, I'm thinking like in high school, I was, I think my interest began to grow or began to understand I'm really interested in learning about witchcraft or uh, Celtic shamanism was something that was very interesting to me. I was curious about all the things. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember when I was 18 years old, I felt, I heard a very clear 
calling. Uh, and I think that was the first time I can remember identifying and communicating, communicating with my guides mm -hmm. or a guide at that point who said, you are a shaman. Mm -hmm. uh, and that freaked me out. I mean, that freaked me the fuck out. He said I could, <laughs> that I could cuss. And that was like, wow. I was really excited about it, but I felt, I was clueless. <laughs> I felt clueless. And also I was, you know, just graduated high school. So for many years after that, at least a decade after that, I felt like I was standing on this path, staring down it. Mm -hmm. And I, at least, and that's, that's all I could do. That's all I, I had such terror and fear. And, and I don't even know what at this point, I can't even really remember what some of those things were that were holding me back. But I slowly began to move forward down the path, like one step at a time. I'm a very visual thinker. Mm -hmm. um, I'm an artist. I'm a designer. But I tend to think in pictures. And so starting around the time, I think, of my late 20s, I actually I was, became very intentional about figuring out what this was going to be. If I was going to be a shaman or an intuitive healer, a witch, what, I began to play with labels and delve into like playing I, I began to play with it to see mm -hmm. what felt true and what resonated with me and have learned a lot about myself in that process so I am very eclectic in my approach and, mm -hmm. and rebellious by nature so I'm very interested in something that I call chaos magic <laughs> and well there is I mean you can find you know there's a little information on the internet but one of the ways that I define that is basically you, you create your own spiritual framework or religious framework, whatever you want to call it, but your own magical framework, you take the best, leave the rest, you uh, come up with a system that meets your needs. And that, and I think that like in the Wiccan tradition or witchcraft, that they would call that an eclectic practitioner. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do identify as a shaman. Uh, I'm an indigenous woman. Mm -hmm. I am cut off from my lineage or mm -hmm. it was not passed down to me in traditional ways mm -hmm. through my ancestors. So I'm, I'm remembering and rediscovering in relationship with my guides. Mm -hmm. So that is that work, uh, connecting with my guides and the ancestral healing and giving myself permission to use these words to say, I am this, I am mm -hmm. a shaman without fear or shame um, or guilt that I don't feel like I'm ready. All of the, all of those voices, you know, just mm -hmm. to, it's a, it's reclaiming work. Yeah. And so I'm very passionate about that. Mm -hmm. Um, I also, I'm a, I identify as an empath. Mm -hmm. So I feel what other people feel. It's like the primary psychic intuitive way that I interact with other humans and also, uh, well, non-breathing. I would call them non-breathing humans. <laughs> so I do a fair amount of mediumship work, although I practice that selectively. I care a lot about empath health, mm -hmm. self-care, physical health. Uh, I tend to attract a lot of friends. All of my personal friends are very similar, uh, introverted, highly empathic, maybe in various ways, some with plants, animals, or humans. And building that tribe and then figuring out how to, I guess I would say, metabolize the energy that comes into our bodies. Mm -hmm. And for me, a, a lot of uh, self-talk and or self-care and self-coaching around 
allowing my that that part of my my nature even though it makes it challenging for me sometimes to just be alive and human and on the planet um because of the tremendous amount of information i feel like is always coming at me it can feel like a, a blessing and a curse but i i feel very passionate about being an empath i mean don't i love i love that that's something that i get to do on this earth ride mm-hmm. um other magical things i'm interested in Let's see. I think those are the the primary. I mean, I dabble in this and that. I do a lot of ritual, mm-hmm. and it's not in any particular framework. And I like I do it. And sometimes it's more ceremony than it is ritual. But I feel like those two things for me are sometimes interchangeable. Uh, I do a lot of things that are in the Native American tradition, although not exclusively. Mm-hmm. So I just sort of connect with my guides and my intuition and find that ritual it's almost something I do naturally to self-soothe like a child that has a special blanket mm-hmm. or you know petting something soft mm-hmm. I started to notice that it I just this was something I just did almost reflexively like I started gathering little bits of this and that like flowers candles mm-hmm. crystals stones parts whatever it was uh yeah. any kind of found object and then creating little altar spaces little con- so I realized finally I'm creating containers Mm-hmm. a container for my grief or a container that makes me feel safe and comforted in this moment or a container to talk intentionally with one of my ancestors um so that's also something I'm really I'm passionate about it in the sense that I want people to have fun with it and do mm-hmm. what feels aligned mm-hmm. without worrying so much about the rules and the right way so that's where my sort of rebellious um I really reject this there's no right way to practice magic I I really reject what feels like patriarchal systems Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to magic and I'm so surprised to discover that how present that is in the I guess the magical world yeah Uh, maybe I shouldn't be so surprised but that to me is what organized religion typically is in my experience Mm-hmm. that govern people's behavior and so I just like to turn those on their head yeah 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 I think that is a really interesting conversation that we're having at the moment I mean between you and me right now but also in the wider community about gay gatekeeping and how sometimes maybe even unintentionally we replicate those systems that we're trying to escape from um where we're creating hierarchies and certain ways to qualify and um, yeah, hierarchies mainly I think is the word. And I really love seeing that um, it's possible to talk about it and to do it differently. So that's great. Yes. I I think hierarchy is a really good word for it. And Mm -hmm. it's something that I wonder about. I know that I am um, newly out in the world as a, what I'm calling myself a baby queer Mm -hmm. having a new, (laughs) I'm, and I and that's been coming on for a couple of years. I'm now very comfortable identifying as a queer woman. Yeah. But not but, but I'm saying and I'm learning. It's like a, and now I'm seeing my community, my queer community, in and di- with a different perspective. Mm-hmm. So not as an ally, mm-hmm. but as, as I am actually part of this. I am one of you. I am part of your tribe. Yeah. And I know a lot of radical queers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would call them witches or 
pagans or very magical queer folk. That's mm -hmm. my sort of subculture. That's my tribe within <laughs> under the umbrella. And I, I, I observe a lot of hierarchy and need to follow rules and oppose systems that govern behaviors. And this is the right way to cast a circle. And this is the right way to, I mean, just, it's a, it's sort of, I don't even sometimes, I, I want to be very careful not to offend. And so I'm always trying to be very careful with my words because I want everybody, you know, to each his own. Mm -hmm. But I was surprised to discover that I think in the queer community and my, and that's good education for me that it's sort of everywhere. Like it's embodied. Mm -hmm. So no matter how progressive we, any of us are, uh, I think it's similar to the idea of like embodied racism, which is something I've been learning about or even embodied I think sexism or misogyny uh, that there seems to it's you can find it like if you dig mm -hmm. under the surface that we each seem to carry some of this in our energy field yeah yeah for sure and um, I think this it is, is it's a particular kind of heartbreak to discover that isn't it because we turn towards each other hoping for liberation from these structures and yet we find them again in a slightly different form and then and it feels I think yeah it feels a little bit different than experiencing that same kind of herd from the outside when it's coming from an in-group almost does that make sense that makes perfect sense and I love the way that you very concisely can articulate things that yes it it was unexpected because I think I was um like uh, I feel I am feeling liberated around certain things. And so I expect to find that same energy or mindset in this community, this queer community. Mm. And I'm, I feel um, I'm not disappointed necessarily. I'm curious mm. about that. I mean, cause yeah. we're all just humans and we, so the, like sort of sometimes I put on my, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Star Trek and <laughs> no. uh, <laughs> what's an American television show but uh, in the set in the future like science fiction but there's mm -hmm. this uh, Spock-like creature or his name is Spock he's a Vulcan I'm actually surprised that I'm talking about this right now but he's very <laughs> uh, detached from his emotions very logical he is not a, like a robot but very um, unemotional and highly logical mm -hmm. so I sometimes will I think when something emotionally becomes too much for me to process mm -hmm. I switch into this other aspect of myself which just sort of lets me observe behaviors yeah. and patterns and mm -hmm. try to make sense and, and become very very logical so mm -hmm. I think that's the approach that I'm taking with observing like I had an experience a couple years ago participating in a Beltane ritual which was amazing and lovely and um, it was at a radical queer retreat center so it was a fairy gathering Mm -hmm. And when we were doing the maple, uh, doing the ribbons around the maple, um, the top of the maple broke or snapped. Mm -hmm. And the, in this, and so everybody, and I didn't know that this was, I didn't know what this meant. Like I'd mm -hmm. not had, because I'd never done a maple ceremony before, but I could tell by the response of the crowd that people were like, oh no, oh no. What do we do? What do we, you know? Mm -hmm. and this was a very big deal and then other people in the crowd you know because maybe it's 100 people participating said keep going keep going so we kept going and 
the little the piece that had broken got weaved in mm-hmm. to the pole. So I'm mm-hmm. thinking, great, whatever, this is life. We yeah, <laughs> we have <laughs> creative disruption, and things are as it, they should be. And sometimes they're chaotic, and sometimes things break. Yeah, and yeah, totally. then after that ceremony, talking with different people who were participated in the rituals, and then who were just per- who were leading the ritual. Uh, and calling the corners and then people that were participating some people thought that was a very bad sign like a bad omen um, and that we should have stopped Mm -hmm. what we were doing uh, and found a new gun and had sent group of people out into the forest to cut down a new maple and then start over oh okay um and so I, I would, that was new. I mean, this whole thing was new to me. So mm-hmm. it didn't, it did not freak me out this particular thing that happened, but it was interesting to observe how other people responded to it that mm-hmm. were really almost upset mm-hmm. and conflicted that they thought maybe they had made the wrong decision to keep going versus stop. Mm-hmm. At any rate, like where I arrived with that, it was like, to me, it is what it is or what happened is what was meant to happen at that Mm -hmm. moment. And that particular year that followed was an incredibly uncomfortable and chaotic one, um, for sure. The energy, and I don't believe that it's because we, (laughs) because of our maple. Mm -hmm. I just think it was indicative of the energy that existed at that time. And that Mm -hmm. we uh, we didn't call it in or invoke it, but it, um, how do I say, was synchronistic or it was a sign that yes sometimes magic is not soft and pretty and gentle Mm -hmm. Um, and you know I'm really interested in what I call trickster medicine or coyote medicine or the sacred clown archetype Mm -hmm. that sometimes that kind of disruption to make us uncomfortable is for our own benefit yeah I was just I just tell that story because it was an example to me about how there even in the queer community uh this and pagans and witches, I mean, there was, they had a rule book mm-hmm. of, of how this ritual needed to happen. Mm-hmm. And if it didn't happen that way, then we must have done it wrong. Mm-hmm. And I, that to me is strange, but mm-hmm. um, I want to honor, you know, what their beliefs are. Mm-hmm. It just didn't upset me. Yeah, yeah. If that makes any sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. I can really relate to that. And I loved what you said earlier, just to come back to that how you feel creating containers and making magic maybe in an everyday sense, but also in a deeper ritual, special occasion kind of sense feels like a security blanket. That was so like, I've never used those words, but I was like, yes. Oh my God. Yeah. That's exactly how I feel about magic too. Um, I was really, I was kind of in a stroppy moody hormonal kind of headspace last night and I sat down I I was just like well I was sitting on a sofa at first trying to read and then I was just like like I can't really focus and I just feel a bit messy and all over the place so I sat down with my diary and my tarot deck and I drew one card for each of my worries and I was like okay look I'm making space for you guys who each get a card I'm here to listen and then I want to have a nice evening and it felt like exactly like what you were describing just like a security blanket and I, I will come back to the story that you just told which I really love as well is that um I 
agree with you. I think I would have probably had a similar experience. And at the same time, I can also see the value of some structure and some kind of expectation management within big groups. And I see the deep complexity in that as well. And I think for me, that's always like a really interesting dance to keep dancing infinitely, basically, to see like, you know, how much structure is good for me, uh, more in my own spaces, like around self-care, you know, do I have a rule for how often I want to journal each week or how often I use my, where, uh, you know, move my body in, in nice ways? Or can I just be totally fluid with that? Or does that end up feeling then like I'm not committed enough and I end up doing less than I want to or something? Does that make sense? Yes. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> um, I want to I, I kind of tie back into ancestral healing as well a little bit if you're up for that so you mentioned in the beginning that you are reclaiming traditions and practices that you're excited about but that they haven't been kind of passed to you in in usual ways um, yeah. can you tell us a little bit more about you know what have you done around that reclamation and um, how did you approach that so so the, so the ancestral healing work that I've been doing and using the, the language, it, those words, ancestral healing, um, that's fairly new to mm -hmm. me. That's uh, about, uh, actually it's pretty, probably almost a year ago, I began working with a coach that is out of the Bay Area in California, which is close to where I live, that uh, was trained in this ancestral healing framework. And there's a author, um, I think his name is Daniel... Daniel Floor, mm -hmm. I will, uh, I think that's what it is. Anyway, the book is called Ancestral Healing. And so I started to, and I just through a friend of a friend, I think I was um, introduced to this idea that there was this actual framework that therapists and coaches were using to facilitate conversations. And that was fascinating to me because it seemed to exist outside of the traditional uh, ancestral research framework where we can only know about our ancestors by looking at uh, genealogical records and to doing DNA tests and talking to family members and like looking through birth records and sort of all of that, which is a very imperfect. I mean, it's a lot in a lot of cases, very difficult to get information. A lot mm -hmm. of it lost for so many people for so many reasons. So in my life, I, I'm a brown woman. I have brown skin. I, both my parents are, they, they look very similar to me, mm -hmm. um, but there's always been a mystery around our ethnicity or mm -hmm. who our ancestors are. And then intuitively, like just in the digging that I had done, knowing that there was a whole lot of trauma that contributed to people not wanting to talk about it and not wanting to remember like those, we don't, we don't talk like even back to my grandparents on both of both parents side my mother and my father's parents um not sharing very much about their childhood because you don't talk about those things or let's look forward not back um there was just a lot of trauma that they experienced as well as going back you know a couple hundred years mm -hmm. and i started to do some ancestral research in the traditional way like looking at through records trying to piece together names um birth records that kind of thing and that helped a lot where it got me to was a place where i was very angry because i realized that my history uh, was one of colonization and genocide 
and I, it just hit me in a different way. Um, knowing that it was much easier to think, oh, that is horrible, but that happened to somebody else's family. Uh, it is not in my, like, it's not come through my DNA. Mm -hmm. And then when I did the actual research and what I was able to pull together, these records of my family coming from South America through Central America up into Indian reservations in the Southwest of America and then migrating to California. And that actually, that story was true on both sides of my family, my mother and my father. And, and they didn't even know that. Their parents didn't know that. So in one sense, it was glad, I was glad to have that information, but it was left with a lot of anger and sadness and not really knowing what to do with that. And then really, no, no one in my family really wanted to talk about it either. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. okay. Um, so, yes, the... What I, what I started to do at that point was connect with my guides, who I feel, and I just call them my guides. Um, I know that some people are very particular about naming their guides or uh, describing them as male or female or knowing um, what they look like, you know, all of that. And for me, I have never felt the need to do that. So I reference sort of this host of spirit helpers, um, and many of them now I have come to recognize as my ancestors. Mm -hmm. And they have also, uh, they're constantly schooling me or educating me or, you know, giving me a check. But that we are our own ancestors in a way, and or not in a way, we are. We are our own ancestors, uh, which I'm still trying to wrap my head around. But I get that message a lot. So that made me feel like, oh, um, I am not separate from this, um, mm. from these people that experienced all of these things, however many hundreds of years back, the good and the well ancestors. And that's the, the concept and the framework of the ancestral healing. Um, that, that it's not all trauma. You know, at some point in, in our lineage, there were good and well ancestors and that we can go back and connect with them in spirit mm. and, ask them for help. So ask them to help us individually, but also to heal the family line. Mm -hmm. And so I don't even know if I can describe how that's happening. Just that I now believe very wholeheartedly in, <laughs> in this, the magic of this. Uh, it had not occurred to me to ever try to connect with good and well ancestors. Mm -hmm. It, I just had never, you know, I was not making a distinction. And then, but then I realized that I have a lot of ancestors that I either, that I did know before they passed in this incarnation or in previous past life memories that I do not have good feelings about. Mm. And so I think part of my barrier in wanting to know who I am, where I come from, who my ancestors are, was not wanting to connect or tangle up my energy with their energy. Mm -hmm. So I was setting, I didn't know how to have a, it's, it's just like healthy boundaries with people, with humans. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to have that healthy boundary. Like I do want to talk to my ancestors, but I'm not obligated to talk to all of them. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not obligated to talk to anybody who has hurt me or hurt themselves or hurt anybody in my family who has energy of any kind that doesn't feel good to me. So there's, that's like the baseline. Mm -hmm. And then I, I, I can choose then to go and talk with, and however far back that is, the the ones that make me feel good and safe and held. And, um, and in a way, the visual around that was, and I, the coach that I'm working with had given me this sort of visual of 
almost saw it like a wave of healing energy or uh, like a bubble, like coming back through time and like cocooning, yeah, cocooning was the word. That's the word I'm looking for. The myself and my current living relatives in this healing energy, this, this safety mm -hmm. uh, as a way of healing that. Yeah. And that just, it's still, it's kind of blowing my mind, even though I believe in lots of sort of out there things. And uh, I talk with spirit all the time. Um, this, this whole concept was quite new to me. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I'll stop talking. I feel like I'm. No, no. <laughs> it's really beautiful. Did I answer your question? Absolutely. <laughs> and you have such beautiful, I, I love the visuals in your language. And I can see now really clearly what you said in the beginning, that you're a very visual person. And it's just yeah. been really beautiful to imagine being, you know, wrapped into this really beautiful cocoon and being really safe in there. And yeah, I think that's a beautiful practice. Thank you for sharing. Um, I also... Yeah, I would love to touch in a little bit on how these practices have helped you to come to a place where you can really own your identity. You said earlier that you identify as a queer woman um, and you shared with me before that you've come out late in life relatively, in air quotes, so to say. And so I would love a little to, to know a little bit more about what that was like and how your self-reflection and those beautiful containers you've created for yourself have helped you on that path. Hmm. Thank you for that question. Um, and so I'm still, I guess, unpacking this and beginning to understand it. I, I can say that I've had a very lovely, um, gentle coming out experience in the sense that nobody opposed me or is even surprised. The experience that I'm having is more like, I'll see a close friend I haven't seen in a while, and I say, oh, I'm, I'm queer, I'm identifying, mm -hmm. and they're like, oh, didn't you already tell me that <laughs> five years ago, ten years ago, or yeah, I thought you, you know, so every, it's one of those <laughs> sort of hilarious, hilarious to me things where everybody else already knew, and were, I guess, waiting for me to figure it out or own it for myself, because um, I have had the, a, a few conversations where I'm like, if you knew, why didn't you just tell me? Mm -hmm. Why didn't you say something? That is mm -hmm. super valuable information. Yeah. Um, I might not have agreed with you. I might have like said, you're ridiculous. That's ridiculous. You know, I might've argued with you, but I would have thought about it. Yeah. And so I had a, one friend tell me that we know things when we're ready to know them. Mm -hmm. So I keep coming back to that. So I think that's super interesting. So I, um, I, looking back can see very clearly through, I mean, that I think most of my, what I will say adult life, or even as early as like coming online to romantic interest at junior high, high school level, I was not only attracted to, I think the correct way of describing cis men or biological men, um, but culturally, that I just, I'd embrace that story that this is what I will do as a woman, as a straight woman, well, I'm a straight woman and I will be, and this is my, how do I say, um, not my job or my obligation, but this is what I do. I am, I do, I'm going to define my self-worth through uh, my acceptableness or attractiveness to men. Mm -hmm. And 
I'm beginning to see that very clearly that that is what primarily I think influenced my identity, my sexual identity uh, through in most of my adult life. Yeah. That, so it speaks to insecurity about my body um, or messages that I received from other women in my life about the importance of being acceptable to the opposite sex. And, and that's super interesting to me because I've always been very rebellious, the black sheep, like uh, out in left field, whatever, you know, fringe dweller label that you can think of, like I have been called it. Mm-hmm. So I didn't realize that I was doing this. I think that's how deeply it was just inside me, this, this sense of, and for me, it was a sense of insecurity, like that I do not have value unless I am attractive mm-hmm. to men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. is, so, I mean, I can tell you, like, my, I can hear my guides, like, cheering and applauding yeah. that I am no longer, <laughs> yes. I am liberated. Yes. I can be liberated from that. Yes, and I want to <laughs> applaud along with them for a moment. Yes. Yes, to all of that. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's so human, you know, it is, I know it is easy to even feel shameful for feeling the shame in the first place. But really, we all know how, how deep this is and how, how we're swimming in it really from the minute that we're born and how big a step it is to claim really liberation from that. And how much headspace and room for magic and it can create in our lives when we step away from that extremely narrow definition of what being attractive can even mean, right? Yes, that that, that is what I was, the, the narrow definition, that is what, I like the way you articulate that. Those are the really good words. Um, because, and how, yeah, I had, how I, my personal experience, but I think maybe it's common for others, you can just have no idea that that's actually happening yeah so it took a long time for it to become conscious uh and i i don't feel shame for that fortunately because yes there is the whole absolutely feeling ashamed because you feel shame <laughs> it's a recurring theme in my life that i and i see that i think in other friends mm. as well um I'm just, I'm surprised. I'm holding it in curiosity. Like the, again, sort of that um, analytical, logical aspect of myself sort of steps forward and is just super curious, like in an anthropological sense of how, mm-hmm. what, how did, how did I not see the signs? Why did I, why did I not want to see those signs? Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't judge myself for that. I'm just, I'm genuinely curious about mm-hmm how I, you know, because I'm 38 now, and the, I've been using these words, at least amongst my friends, like, I, I'm not straight. I started with, I know I'm not straight, there's nothing straight about me. <laughs> <laughs> and in my mind, that's like a straight line, I'm seeing like a straight line, and I'm like, oh, that, I'm not, there's nothing, I mean, I'm yeah. very brown, um, like, I, I like, I'm large, I contain multitudes, there's just nothing linear, or even normative, you know, but nothing along that line. Mm-hmm is is me mm-hmm. so I started there and then I thought well I'm attracted to the masculine mm-hmm. um, I noticed that I was attracted to trans men and butch women um, mm-hmm. and then I started to sit with that and think I'm still thinking about that but also I believe that it's because I'm only giving myself permission to be attracted to the masculine mm-hmm. 
So I'm sort of transitioning out of, uh, you know, I can only be attracted to men that are mm -hmm. biological men to, okay, it's acceptable now for me to be attracted to the masculine, but then I'm noticing I'm also attracted to the feminine. I mean, mm -hmm. that I have chemistry with people. There are certain people and it doesn't seem to matter where they are in the spectrum. And that's really new for me. That's like, that's new territory. And it feels a little bit uncomfortable because I, it is unknown. So I'm mm -hmm. trying to hold it in curiosity. Like all the rules of behavior and all the norms, like the cultural norms and things that I know to be true are now gone almost, or like I'm in a new space of discovery, which is exciting and feels childlike. And then also it's freaking me out. <laughs> it's freaking me out because uh, I don't, I don't know what I don't know, and I'm, I'm eager to try all the things, and I'm just a rookie. And so it's like being, I keep saying, I'm 12 years old again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, but I'm in, you know, a much older body. Mm -hmm. So I'm sort of at the, you know, doodling names on notebooks. and uh, <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think that's really beautiful. And I think also... This kind of reminds me of the pages in the tower where traditionally many decks have really created this hierarchy in the different suits where we're looking at the page as the youngest, most inexperienced person and the king as kind of really the top of that hierarchy with the most experience, the most grounding and power, really authority and power. And, and that kind of manifesting the different aspects of the different elements and all of that. And I think many new decks that I'm seeing coming out with different descriptions of the card cards where the pages are called students for example and we really value this open-mindedness and the curiosity and um, yeah all of that beautiful stuff in people rather than seeing them as just a stepping stone on a larger development and I think there's so much beauty in in like being in the page or student kind of space later in life because those other experiences that we have are in, in air quotes transferable skills and they, they mean that we look at things through a really different lens even if it is a brand new thing if that makes sense yeah it does it does make sense and that's a really good point I'm, I'm also seeing like I've observed that as well and I, I just didn't know how to uh, put it into words I think in the priestess training program Vanessa Sage priestess training that where we met um she talks about spiral time mm -hmm. and how things are happening concurrently mm -hmm. um, and it reminds me of that concept of us uh, we can be all of the archetypes maiden mother crone or page queen king at the same time or that different aspects or parts of ourselves will be in different phases mm -hmm. and that it's more of a circular uh, or a spiral or a shell or, you know, some kind of nonlinear mm -hmm. shape to it. Um, I read a book called Jailbreaking the Goddess. I don't mm -hmm, know if yeah. you've heard about it. I have. It has, has it been recommended to me many times? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the woman who wrote it, her name is Lasara Firefox Allen, and she is also not too far from, I mean, she's about five hours from north from where I live, but in these, in my neck of the woods. Um, and, the one of the main ideas she presents is a non-binary way of looking at these archetypes so that it's not just maiden mother crone mm -hmm. which may work for a woman 
-hmm. but what if you are trans or genderqueer? You know, what if you aren't comfortable fitting yourself into those three categories? Does that mean that you don't get to participate mm -hmm. or use the magic of the learning about those archetypes? And so she came up with a, uh, I think, five different uh, groups that, and she talks about cycling through them all of the time. Mm -hmm. So, in one aspect of yourself could be the elder, and another aspect could be a very young woman. Um, and I really love that because I feel like we we do contain multitudes. Mm -hmm. That we are living, whether they get multi-dimensional creature, we live multi-dimensionally, interdimensionally. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, and in general, I like to reject things that are very normative or fixed, mm -hmm. uh, or at least I like to be able to question them. Mm -hmm. Uh, to consider like what what are the alternatives or the how can we be more open-minded about it yeah yeah absolutely that's maybe interesting that, oh sorry go ahead <laughs> no you go ahead maybe, maybe one reason and I would like to hear you speak because you have very a lot more knowledge of the tarot decks uh maybe why I don't resonate with some of the more traditional tarot decks I never mm -hmm. really thought about it but like um the rider weight which is the what standard classic I feel like they're mostly men in, mm -hmm. in the pictures and mm -hmm. it just never spoke to me mm -hmm. I literally cannot hear anything when I it's like crickets or mm -hmm. other decks I'll pick up because when I first started reading uh I thought I didn't know how to do it <laughs> I thought I just couldn't do it because mm -hmm. literally was not getting any I hear um most of it the uh communication comes in through my left ear or like the left side of my body Mm -hmm. I couldn't hear anything. I got no information from that deck. And then I've met other decks in the future that I could hear all kinds of things. Like, mm -hmm. sorry, so that was. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Um, did you have a specific question for me on that? Or do you, should I just. Do you have an experience with some of the, I, I don't know how male, more male dominated decks or um, maybe that's not the right way to. Uh -huh. Yeah, sure. No, I, t I totally know what you mean. Um, I will say I am also really surprised that there still seems to be uh, many people holding the opinion that if you want to learn the tower, you should start with the right away. That's not what I did. I never had that deck. And I have learned the tower just fine. <laughs> so that's funny. I I've had different decks and I will 100% agree with you that it's incredibly important in the tools that we're using even though they are in air quotes just tools and we might as well just listen to um, you know whatever is coming our way in guidance directly um, I do think most people benefit from tools though and they are a beautiful way of holding space and creating ritual and ceremony and also you must just have this natural inclination I think to make marks and create artwork and make meaning that way um sorry coming back <laughs> to the beginning with that sentence uh, what I was trying to say that I think I totally agree with you that it's really important that we see ourselves and our life ex uh, experience reflected in the tools that we're using and the rider wade is incredibly wide it's also very male dominated and I love seeing that many more decks have come out that are much more diverse in that and that's not just about gender it's also about ability and body types and race of course and age and all those different things and I think um, it's also about queerness in that many two of cups cards or lovers card have traditionally been very heteronormative which is um, 
just erasing a lot of people's identity and experience and it's a real shame and so I am really excited about some of the newer decks um not all of them of course I think there's there's just different pockets in the tower world and it's definitely also really um unhelpful and hurtful and oppressive stuff happening in there be that cultural appropriation or a continuation of maybe very oppressive uh, forms of looking at human relationships that I would love to see more people shed. Um, anyway, <laughs> sorry, that was a long way in the story. I just received a deck last week that's called Anima Mundi, which I really love because it's a nature base. So it mainly has animals on it and uh, plants. And the only human in this whole deck is the devil card, which I found hilarious when I found out. I didn't notice when I uh, got the deck, but then I kind of shuffled and started looking at all the different parts. And I, I just thought that was incredible. Um, and the other deck that I, I really enjoy is the Next Royal Tower deck. Um, I'm going to put the link to that in the show notes as well. That's really beautiful. It has lots of people of color in it, lots of trans people, lots of disabled people. Um, sex workers um, and I think the book also really resonates with me that's really beautiful um, so yeah I think those decks can really help us question our perceptions of gender and relationships and what might net, next step might be exciting for us in our liberation right now so that's really great as well and I love seeing more trans people represented there, of course, and to kind of to people listening that were unsure about the terms that we're using earlier. Um, so a cis person is someone who still feels that the gender um, that they were assigned to at birth is um, resonating with them now as an adult. And for some people, I think that can change and it can be fluid and that's really valid as well. Um, I do think um, that maybe the, the term cis woman or cis man is more helpful than biological man or woman because biological essentialism is can can get very tricky very quickly and there's also intersex people that have really valid identities and it's complicated and I'm so here to talk about it so if anyone is listening and has questions or would like to have some resources send us something then I'd be really here for that and I'm also really happy about uh, chatting to people about what tarot decks might be uh, great to explore for, to them because I'm really passionate about people finding ones that represent them and feel really meaningful in, in how they're being used. Sorry, that was a super long answer. <laughs> Thank you. No, Thank you for clarifying too on the terms because I think that it's been part of my education. It's ongoing. It will be ongoing of learning what are the most helpful terms to use. Yeah. And have a shared language around this. Mm-hmm. Me too, totally. And I'm really grateful that we're having this conversation. There's so many more things I want to ask you and I want to be respectful of your time and also of the people listening. So I, I want to be transparent. I have a bunch more questions here um, and I feel like maybe we can get to one or two more um, before we're wrapping up. Is there one in particular that you feel most excited about talking about? Also to say, you can definitely come on the show again. So <laughs> no pressure to cover everything you want to say today. We can definitely, definitely talk again. <laughs> I think if we can chat maybe just a bit about cultural appropriation. Yeah, yeah, totally, yes. That's sort of a scratching the iceberg. Yeah. It's such a large conversation, but I know that that's something I'm interested in dialoguing (laughs) with you about. Yeah. And definitely I'm interested in having like a follow-up conversation. (laughs) Yes. At the beginning of it, 
mm-hmm. as a community, it feels like, really starting to talk about this. Yes. So I'm just um, noting the question you had. Yes, the question was, um, <laughs> oh yeah, and I said in our private chats, we talked a bit about permission and reclaiming spiritual practices, as well as cultural operation. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your experience with these things? So you can take this anywhere you like, and you can also ask me anything and yeah, go for it. <laughs> Thank you. So I remember the post that you, uh, you had posted something on Instagram that I thought was just really elegantly written and articulated about, and was like an, an invitation, I think, to people of all mm-hmm. color mm-hmm. to talk about appropriation in spiritual circles or in the mm-hmm. spiritual community, which is just something that I'm becoming aware of. And so I guess what I want to say is, like, I am in, in discovery of the ways in which I might be um, responsible or be actually doing this without realizing and I'm also beginning to notice because I'm just paying attention and that's where I started with. I'm just going to observe and pay attention and notice mm-hmm. what's happening in the world. And, and I'm beginning to notice things that other people do that do feel offensive to me personally or just to a specific culture that they might be taking something from. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things about this that I do like to talk about or think that... so. For me, I, I, I heard a calling, a very clear calling at the age of 18 specifically is when my guides first started talking in my ear about being a shaman. Mm-hmm. And that is a word that is, it's a very specific word. Um, it's, it's newer, I think, in, the, in, in our language that they used to be referred to as medicine men or medicine women or healers or uh, oracles. You know, there are lots of different ways that other than, other than shaman. Mm-hmm. My guides were very clear with me. This is because I have tried to use other labels, mm-hmm. and they have been every t- extremely like more clear on this than anything else. No, this mm-hmm. is what you are. Mm-hmm. Own it. And the the biggest part of my uh, my personal spiritual path has been coming to terms with that, mm-hmm. because it it makes me a little bit uncomfortable to say I am a shaman when I haven't. Uh, I don't come from a lineage, I, or maybe I do, but I just don't know it. Like, my, my grandmother didn't pass down certain information to me that her grandmother passed down to her, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Um, I haven't had an initiation in a tribal sense mm-hmm. uh, that many uh, healers or medicine men, women, would ex- medicine people would experience. Mm-hmm. I have not, you know, gone on any um, expensive South American retreats, you know, with... <laughs> which I actually uh, choose not to because I it, and I'll, I'll come back to this mm-hmm. um, we're going to talk about appropriation one of the things that turning uh, shamanism and spiritual I, I don't know how to say it but like um, spiritual excavation or going very deeply within oneself using plant medicine mm-hmm. into a tourist attraction mm-hmm. I personally find quite offensive mm-hmm. um, but that's just me Mm-hmm. And I know that it's so it like I'm grateful that we live in a world where you have access to this kind of training mm-hmm. if you have the money to pay for it. But I don't know that I think it's helpful. Sometimes I wonder what kind of harm is this causing? Mm-hmm. Um, but it, particularly in the way that people respect this kind of information or the work that they're doing, I think mm-hmm. 
it's really important work. Like this is um, healing your soul mm-hmm. in, in partnership with spirit. It should not be taken lightly. Mm-hmm. And it bothers, it does personally, I notice bother me when it's treated a little bit more like recreation or like, I, like going to the spa. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I'm going to go have a spa, you know, or I'm going to have a spa weekend. I'm going to care. It, it just, um, I'll have to think a little bit more about how to articulate this, but I do, I am noticing that I have trouble with the schools that exist that teach people how to be a shaman. I think actually what they're doing is just they're teaching shamanic practices. Mm-hmm. And when people come away and say, I am this, that doesn't quite work for me. Um, oh, excuse me, my, my phone is ringing here. So, sorry, I, I may have gotten off track, but that, mm-hmm. that, is, that is one thing I know that has arisen or yeah. risen to the top that really, really bothers me. And then I also recognize that I'm a, as an indigenous woman and I present that way visually to the world, mm-hmm. um, I am, there's a certain kind of privilege in the sense that I am not going to be called out for using that term, for saying I'm a shaman. Um, mm-hmm. I'm an indigenous healer no one's going to say, no one's going to argue with me mm-hmm. um, and tell me that I'm not allowed to, and they could if they wanted to, and I would fiercely defend and I would give them the story and be like, here's, here's the deal. Like mm-hmm. here's, you know, we would get into a conversation about colonization and mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, genocide and uh, my, my family on both sides being stripped of their humanity and in general, Indian people in my country having been reduced to animals, slaves, um, just cast aside like as if they were, um, they're not actual humans, but like something less than, um, yeah. taking their names away, you know, that giving them new names, like all of that is just so abusive and oppressive. So I, I, for a while, I worried that people would argue with me about, oh, who do you think, that was my inner voice, like, who do you mm-hmm. think you are to call yourself this? Mm-hmm. And all I can tell you is that my guides have been very clear so that maybe in this incarnation, one of my lessons is reclaiming mm-hmm. and taking my power back and reclaiming mm-hmm. that part of my identity because it's at, at my core. It's, it's the way that I access energy. It's my, um, like if I had a manifesto of why I'm here to help others, it is about helping them shift energy and it not always in a shiny, happy, positive, relaxing way, but in whatever way they need to really get in deeply into their soul. Yeah. So it, it really resonates with me. And then also I noticed that I, I personally do have a problem with people taking, like I said, going through a really expensive training and calling themselves a shaman or appropriating Native American practices. Mm. Uh, and I had never really thought about it before until the conversation really started rearing up, especially through social media and observing people's responses to mm-hmm. uh, just their response, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes extremely defensive and other times like, Oh, the light bulb went on. Like, Oh yeah, I mm-hmm. am. Do- I, had, I had never thought about it. Honestly, like I use sage. I use, I have a smudge wand. I use Palo Santo. I collect bones. I use, um, you know, I, I resonate very strongly with animal medicine, um, working with animal guides. And it never occurred to me to even stop for a moment and think, oh, but am I appropriating? Because it felt very natural to me to mm-hmm. use those things. And so my, I think what I, my message is that it, it goes to intention. Like mm-hmm. I could meet somebody that is in a white body 
Mm-hmm. And they could tell me, I hear this calling. I feel this uh, strong attraction to a specific culture or practice or, you know, religion. And I, I would say, and I would, it depends on the person, but I, I do feel like that should be honored or paid attention to. Mm-hmm. That it shouldn't immediately be disregarded as, oh, I can't, I can't access that because it is not my culture. I just think that proceeding with great intention and respect mm-hmm. is necessary. But mm-hmm. that if you feel like that, like a pulling in your veins or like such a strong attraction to something, that that is a message for you. Mm-hmm. Something there that is wanting to be explored or there's some kind of medicine that you need. Um, and maybe it just, it just comes down to intention mm. and, the, and the way that you approach it. Like I have a friend, a very close friend who recently did an ayahuasca ceremony mm-hmm. and I feel, I felt like the way he did it was very intentional and private and with the healing for himself, mm-hmm. um, in, in mind. And it wasn't just, Oh, recreational, like let's have a party and, you know, mm-hmm. so, and that, and that didn't bother me. It, it didn't make me think like, oh, you shouldn't, you know, should be doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, just, it's interesting. Like it's, it's just like a messy topic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like really messy yeah. and large. Mm-hmm. Yes. I hear what you're saying about attentions and them, you know, the be attention being really important. And, and I think with that, social media is also adding such a layer of complexity because I can also see that intention is really important and, you know, there can be like really genuine desire to heal oneself and communities and all of that. But I think because of the way we curate our experiences and share things on social media, that is hardly ever visible. You know, what is really the intention of someone, what's behind that, what they're sharing. Um, Yeah, so, so I think that... I, I really understand the anger um, and the unwillingness to question what the intention were at some points, because um, I think we have as white people sometimes behind been, been hiding behind intentions and just, it, it took a really long time to, for these discussions to come up, didn't it? That, um, and I think and a lot of people now feel like, wow, it's become so intense and everyone is angry and there's a lot of anxiety around making a wrong step um, or, you know, fucking up in some ways and and that being kind of the end of a career. And I feel like what I'm trying to remind myself really is that what we're being asked to do, and that's all of us really, um, whether that be about race or gender or all kinds of different things is to walk out a talk as, as people that are excited about spirituality and want to share healing. Um, really, that's what it's coming down to. And that's really complex and yet at the same time a lot more simple than we sometimes think, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it's such a... I'm, I, am, I am grateful that that the conversations are, are now happening. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's a pretty regular occurring thing now. And I agree, social media adds a really interesting twist to all of this. Mm-hmm. So I almost feel like it would be nice. To, like I'm imagining now one day being at a 
retreat or in a circle of people offline mm-hmm. having a conversation. I would love that. And mm-hmm. uh, in my own life, um, I haven't had that experience yet with like friends and my mm-hmm. chosen family. But now I'm thinking maybe, maybe it's a good time now to facilitate a conversation mm-hmm. amongst friends just to um, almost like take the temperature and see where people are mm-hmm. with like their a level of understanding and also comfort around even talking about it. Mm-hmm. That I think as you were speaking, that's what I was um, the pictures in my head were like, Oh, we need to have offline conversations mm-hmm. yeah. about these things. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Yeah. And is there anything that you would wish for the online conversations that are still there? And I totally agree with you on, on that being really beautiful. And, and in, in a, then in addition to that, I also know that some of us can't unfortunately talk in real life. And I wonder if there's anything that you would wish kind of for those conversations. Um, I mean, in an ideal world, uh, I, I think that it's really impolite to call people out. Uh, I understand why it is necessary sometimes, mm-hmm. but in my own, I, I guess I, I would, I would call this a call out culture, mm-hmm. which I see. I don't ever really think that it's helpful. Mm-hmm. I don't know another way mm-hmm. to do it. I, so I, I'm trying to think like, how would I suggest they, another way for them to say this or um, it's, it's just that, the internet and social media seems to lend itself to this sort of defensive combative uh, conversation or ability to just easily call each other out on all kinds of things. So like lots and lots of judgment just being Mm -hmm. thrown around. And I think that's an impolite way to communicate. I think that um, I'm all about radical transparency and honesty and truth telling. Uh And that truth is not always comfortable. In fact, most of the time, it's not comfortable. Uh But there is a polite or gentle way that it can be delivered, even if it is a very uncomfortable truth. Uh So I had a wish. It would be something. And then again, though, it's like both both people or both sides of the conversation need to be willing to have a sort of diplomatic exchange mm-hmm. and that is that is not guaranteed <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> it is not a guarantee so I think I understand them why that some people might get very frustrated and just sort of say something that seems really rude and especially when you put it in writing online um, our tone you know and the way that words can carry meaning when you see them in print is so different mm-hmm. than when we're when they're spoken um, I generally refrain from engaging in very uh, heated conversations online. Like I appreciate the people that that seems to be their style. Mm-hmm. Like I spend a lot of time on Instagram in particular. There's a, that's where I seem to connect with a large community of healers and mm-hmm. mystics and card readers. And I pay attention to the way that they, their brand or the way that they are presenting themselves to the world. Um, and I'm recognizing that that is just, you know, one, I guess, projection of themselves. Mm-hmm. that is not the whole person it's hard to lose sight of it's easy excuse me to lose sight of that mm-hmm. you're seeing this this aspect what, what they want to show you 
some people are very forceful and combative and you can tell they're trying to incite uh provoke mm-hmm. and maybe that is helpful and then I, mean, I think that i have to say that it's one of the reasons that i love following you on instagram because you have a very gentle way so it almost diffuses or um takes you can introduce a very very heavy and difficult topic with such effortlessness and ease and grace that it feels like it because i don't know how it's an energetic thing it just becomes so grounded that there is no fear anymore mm-hmm. around i've just noticed that the energy of the things that you post it's like yeah it is possible to talk about these things or to broach the subject at least in a way that doesn't trigger everyone mm-hmm. um, and is not calling anybody out. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm interested in. I don't know if you ever, if you have plans like lead workshops, <laughs> write a book about that. <laughs> Thank you so much for your kind words. I really appreciate that. And I definitely also want to be transparent that I do feel a bunch of anxiety when I make those posts that you're referring to and I think I uh, maybe only this year um, have started talking about things that are edgy in that way and in that they can be upsetting to some people I've lost a bunch of followers and that's okay and and I think that I can see myself that I really needed some time to find my voice in that. And I had really incredible, beautiful people in my life that have very gently called me in when I've got it wrong. And they've given me the space to uh, unlearn and question my thinking in the past. And that gave me then a little bit more confidence to maybe be like, hey, okay, so I have been able to talk this through with people and I would like to now invite more people into this conversation and let's see if we can do that on Instagram. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. And it's an awkward process for sure. But yeah, thank you so much for your kind words. I, I am thinking about maybe um, in the areas that I feel uh, competent to talk about. So that wouldn't be race necessarily. Well, that really wouldn't be race uh, to maybe run more online workshops. I do them monthly free ones at the moment any, anyway, um, but they're usually not specifically about political subjects. Um, and I am halfway through writing a book that is a little bit political as well. So I'm excited for that. Um, but yeah, thank you. Um, I I wanted to, if that's okay, kind of come back to what you said in the beginning, just for people who may be um, new to this idea of being called out or talking about this kind of stuff, you were saying that um, you find call-out culture really hard. And I I think I have a really good idea about what you mean by that, but maybe we can expand on that a little bit and maybe you can find a way to illustrate what you mean. I think that might be really valuable. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, So... Thank you for the question. It's helping me think, get clear about what do I what do I mean when I say that. So, and I'm trying to think of a particular example. Um, it is more than just opposing somebody, uh, someone's viewpoint. So, because mm-hmm. you know, there are certain. Let's see how I I'm going to stumble around my words for a minute here. Um, I feel like when people make comments or statements that are very extreme uh, in response to someone, a post that somebody has made, 
when they are clearly triggered mm-hmm. by something that somebody has posted and you can see, I mean, you can, you're, uh, you can observe that that's what has happened, that mm-hmm. somebody has said something that personally triggered them rather than taking a look or it doesn't seem like they're taking a very long, you know, taking a look at, okay, what, what is this triggered for me? Um, and then, and then respond from that place of, okay, I've reflected a little bit. It's this immediate, um, you're wrong and here's why mm-hmm. and you're terrible and here's why. And just sort of tearing somebody down, I think, or trying to shame them. Uh, so call out culture for me is about shaming mm-hmm. and really about trying to tear away at someone or, and I wouldn't, I get trying to take their power away. Um, to silence them is what really what it feels like. It's almost like a bullying in a way online uh, sort of bullying. Like you've said something that makes me really uncomfortable and I don't think that you should talk about these things mm-hmm. because they're, it's uncomfortable for me to hear. I mean, that's, that's the exchange that I'm observing a lot of online. So a mm-hmm. lot of people don't, they'll unfollow or they will not um, comment at all. They'll just disappear. They'll remain silent. Mm-hmm. And that is something I think we all are very comfortable. We know how to do that, right? We know mm-hmm. how to remain silent um, when something bothers us. And like mm-hmm. we, we will, I'm not going to follow this person anymore, or I'm just going to pretend like this isn't happening because I don't want to get caught up in the drama of it. Mm-hmm. And then there are other people I think who are very militant about countering other people they don't agree with. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that is valid. I think I just, like in the face of, injustice or somebody you know like in the queer community someone being abusive homophobic like if somebody chimed in and called them out on and said like this is what you're doing mm-hmm. i think you are rather than you know engaging in like the mudslinging the name calling and it's a very energetic exchange as i'm talking about this and i'm realizing like wow how affected I am by the energy of what is happening mm-hmm. in a single Instagram post. And I, I had not until this moment been as aware of that. So thank mm-hmm. you. <laughs> <laughs> I no wonder it's so exhausting. Yeah. Uh, it can be. No wonder people are regularly like on hiatus or taking a break or just mm-hmm. because all of this is like the, these are energetic exchanges and they, I feel often like I get pulled. Um, I, I don't know if it, so there's a, I won't name, I guess I won't say names. I don't know if that is part of the rule of the show. Maybe we can talk about that offline, but there's one <laughs> woman that I follow online who is taking a very strong stand about um, white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And I have been following her. Mm-hmm. Um, she's an African-American woman or she's a black woman, actually. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that she, I'm not, she's a black woman and she's been extremely vocal and it's been really interesting to observe that this is like, she's taking this on as like, I, so there are some people who are taking on, um, I've, I've heard of white allyship or some people of color taking on sort of programs where they're teaching people how white people in particular, how to be better allies, people mm-hmm. of color. Mm-hmm. In a way, I think this might be the kind of work, work that this woman is doing, but I don't know if that's exactly how she identifies it. It's just that she wants people, uh, and I think that she mostly is working with women, but she wants women to be aware of mm-hmm. their internal racism. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I think it's been extremely valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has triggered people all over the place. And like, I've just, that is one example that I can think of where there's a lot of calling out going on, people getting very defensive because they're like refusing to accept that they have any racism whatsoever mm-hmm. inside of that. You know, just, it's just been so interesting to observe that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure like she's, she must, I think, wow, what a monumental, uh, task that she mm-hmm. has taken on. Mm-hmm. Like you must believe that's part of her work, her important work while she's here. Mm-hmm. It's extremely visible. Um, she's making herself a huge target and she's just like, I think that she's all right with that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that answers your question, but. Yeah, it does. Yeah, no, I think that is a really good example and it definitely has illustrated what we're talking about a lot more and given it more, ah, just the, the, the complexity that it deserves. And like also coming back to what you said in the beginning, we knew that we would only scratch the surface with this. And I'm really deeply grateful for everything that you have shared. And also want to say that, uh, yeah, it just really feels like a beginning. I would love to have you on the show again. And th- I think there's so much more that we can talk about. And also to um yeah to just mirror what you said about um it getting heated very quickly and uh social media in some ways really not being helpful in that i also really wish for more offline spaces in which we can talk and um one more thing that's that's kind of also just like in addition to what you already said was that i feel recently um i've been trying to kind of untangle a little bit the ideas around responsibility and uh, performance that we have. And I can only give an example around queerness that I've observed, where I feel sometimes allies, um, or maybe maybe it is a culture that we've created that, that feels like there can be a lot of pressure to um, be really aggressive and assertive about certain things. And I think that people who are affected such as this woman of color who's taken that on and has anger and rightfully so and really deeply deserves that space to voice that anger um, and deserves like um, support for how she's working with it in really constructive ways um so yeah so sorry i think this is becoming a too long sentence when trying to say i think that there's people that are rightly rightfully emotionally effective uh, affected that have anger and that can work with their own story in that way and I think there's then allies and for allies sometimes is what I'm observing at the moment it can feel tempting perhaps to step up and be just as angry but I actually wish for my allies be that straight people or skinny people for example um or able-bodied people to find ways to engage others in their communities that are accessible to those other people. And that's not always anger. And it's and, and I think that is okay then to expect allies to maybe find other ways of engaging that are not uh, centering the anger, but it get, because it isn't actually their anger to have in the first place. And it's much less likely to kind of lead to fruitful discussions or to kind of really shift mindsets that are then less oppressive to the people that are actually affected. Oh God, that was a long story. <laughs> so what I'm, thank you. So I'm, again, you're very elegant in the way that you described, and these are difficult things to talk about. So doing that in a elegant way is. <laughs> thank you. Um, this is interesting. 
I, I would love to hear you have more conversations about that, and I'm happy to be part of this, that conversation, but the, this is reminding me a lot of um, how shame is not enough, or mm -hmm. like, so the anger, like, uh, the, like you're talking about allies, they, they become angry too, like, yeah, it's the, and then they've stopped there at, yeah, I'm angry about this, but then nothing else happens. Mm -hmm after that like there are no it's and i think maybe we just don't know mm -hmm. what to do with our anger um i certainly have been there in my own experiences and research into my own background like you suddenly are really painfully aware of an injustice happening mm -hmm. or something that's just really fucked up and it shouldn't be that way but maybe then i don't know i don't know what can i do mm -hmm. how can i influence this it's mm -hmm. uh, so uncomfortable I think that anger is like the where people arrive and then it's like mm -hmm. a like I see a train that's just pulled up to the station. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And we're we're all like standing on the <laughs> the platform mm -hmm. with like you know raising our fists and like with really angry expressions, but now what? Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that would be very interesting like framework for for holding the offline conversations. Yes, yeah. Let's move past anger because that's what happens typically has been happening when people get together to have these conversations. They end up in a very heated, hurtful exchanges. Mm -hmm. um, so how do you, how do we create like the ritual container around having conversations about race that move beyond anger and into mm -hmm. action, corrective mm -hmm. action? I'm not sure what the right word is. Mm -hmm. Actually, I feel like that may be something that you would be very gifted at, whether or not you want to do that. <laughs> it's a very different, it's a very big thing to take on, but I'm thinking like, wow, you'd be fantastic at doing that. <laughs> I know. Can you imagine? I, that sounds horrifying to me. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I think I would maybe, I think what I can see myself doing is lending my platform to people who want to and can do it i i would be really excited to bring people to that and to really? talk about it i don't think i would take that hat on <laughs> but thank you so much for your kind words yeah <laughs> it is a tough one yes uh and, and and i just kind of to close off i want to illustrate what i meant with anger and that's not really conflicting at all with what you're just adding to that but I want to ground it a little bit more and explain what I meant by that. Um, when I'm thinking about myself as an ally, um, for example, I have obviously much older family members. Um, when I speak to my grandparents about race, um, I think to give even more of, a, of a, like an example, it would be um, they live in the countryside in Germany in a really, really small town. And a larger number of migrants from um, Syria were settling there. And I think they were generally open to it. But I think there was also some nervousness about what, how that might change the town or like how um, those people could be integrated and how they could be met and what that would mean and look like and all of that. So we had chats about it. And I was um, there were some comments that I didn't find OK and that did make me feel angry to some extent, I guess. But I think then you know the choice for me was to either just really express that anger and really push back and be like no this is fucked up and you really need to take that back because if you are being a racist family member I want nothing to do with you and that is the end of the story 
Um, but I think what my responsibility, and I do have that capacity because I don't, I'm not directly affected by this, would be to meet them where they're at with a little bit more compassion and facts and to remind them that actually as a family we have you know we want to be compassionate that's a uh, a value we hold and we do have the resources a hundred percent in germany um and and actually also they have experienced being a refugee after the second world war themselves and it seems that sometimes that generation can forget that and i think so i was kind of trying to bring that in and, and to work with my own anger in other ways but not in that space particularly if that makes sense yeah i think it's a beautiful story and the word compassion uh, i think is so important i often forget forget about self-compassion and mm. compassion for others and how important how diffusing uh, how healing that is like maybe mm. that's really what it uh, the conversation is not about moving past anger but about embodying compassion mm. yeah yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Ah, Should we round things off here? I, uh, like I said, I have a hard time letting go because what you're sharing is incredibly beautiful and I'm really, really grateful. Um, yeah, that you said yes and that you came and showed up and sh shared so many beautiful stories because, yeah, like you said, it is really, it's really difficult stuff to talk about. And so um, I hope that that talking to each other with our own voices on a podcast is maybe a little bit more space than social media would have been so i hope there can be more of that and i hope uh you might want to be on the show again one day but before we go do you want to tell people what you're currently offering and where they can find you if they want to connect more sure so i'm uh have you can visit my website which is spiritfireshaman.com and i have a description of the intuitive readings that I offer. Mm -hmm. um, one is a shorter uh, tarot and oracle, tarot and or oracle reading. And then I also offer a deeper dive, uh, more of a spiritual guidance session. And um, for clients who aren't, for, for people who maybe are not sure whether or not it would be a good fit to have a reading with me, I offer a free uh, 45 minute heart to heart conversation. Mm -hmm. So I find that um, often it, that's a good place to start. Like if you're then you would get a sense of do I want a reading would we be a good fit to work together or I love sharing resources with other people so if I am not the right person for you to work with I am always really happy to give you a list of like five other referrals or websites that I think you should check out mm -hmm. uh, and that that is something I'm willing to do without setting up a formal mm -hmm. reading and then on Instagram, I'm fairly active, mm -hmm. also under the name Spirit Fire Shaman. Mm -hmm. So um, I would recommend maybe following you there. Mm -hmm. And I just launched an email newsletter, so it's only a few months old. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, it's called Smoke Signals, and mm -hmm. it's intended to be a monthly communication. Yeah, I'm looking <laughs> towards having it be a regular monthly communication, mm -hmm. and you can subscribe on my website or if you're on Instagram, the link is in the bio mm -hmm. to sign up for that. Mm -hmm. That sounds incredible. Thank you so much. And yeah, I, I will link the ads, uh, the, sorry, the links to the show notes as well so that uh, if people didn't catch that, they can definitely follow up with you either way. Thank you so much again, really from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much for everything and I hope to see you soon. Thank you. Thank you so much.
much. It's been a privilege to talk with you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope that you enjoyed the show. And if you did, I would really appreciate a review on iTunes. That's making it a lot easier for other people to find a show. And, you know, they might benefit from it too. And it's just beautiful to share these conversations with as many people as possible. If you want to support the show financially, you can also become a Patreon at patreon.com slash which gets you access to monthly ritual kits as well as courses and regular readings by me. I will link to that in the show notes. Thank you so much.